Good morning. It's good to see you all. If you would, turn with me to Psalm 72. And if, if you need a pew Bible, that's on page 454. We're going to read this psalm together and prepare our hearts and our minds for, for worship this morning. Psalm 72, kind of keeping in mind with some things that, that were mentioned in Sunday school. Obviously, we can read this psalm, it says, of David, or sorry, of Solomon. Uh, and we could understand that, that this is in part a psalm and a prayer, a request to God for blessing in Solomon's life, and it was that. But we should also recognize that this psalm points us forward to Christ. He's the one that comes to perfectly fulfill the things that are talked about in this psalm. So see through Solomon Christ this morning as we read this psalm together. Give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son, May he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. May they fear you while the sun endures and as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on mown grass, like showers that water the earth. In his days may the righteous flourish and peace abound till the moon be no more. May he have dominion from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. May desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute May the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. He has pity on the weak and the needy and saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence he redeems their life and precious is their blood in his sight. Long may he live. May gold of Sheba be given to him. May prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land on the tops of the mountains. Make it wave. May its fruit be like Lebanon and may people blossom in, in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever. His fame continue as long as the sun. May people be blessed in him. All nations call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Will you pray with me? Fathers, we gather here this morning, God, we rejoice to know you. God, it is my prayer that not only I and others who have, have been here this morning serving in, in roles of teachers in our Sunday school classes, not only Andrew who will come and preach your word in a few moments, God, not only us may we rejoice in knowing you, but God, we pray that all who are here under the sound of my voice would rejoice in knowing you. God, we, that means we're praying for our children and our, uh, the elderly among us and everyone in between that, that not one person here, God, would, would leave this, this gathering, that would leave this service not rejoicing in the, the privilege and the blessing of knowing God our Savior. God, we ask that you who, who does good, uh, who hears the needy when they call and the poor, uh, that you pity them and that you help the weak and save those, God, in need. We pray that you, O oh God, who, who acts with justice and righteousness and, and does all things for his glory, we pray, O oh God, that you would save our children and save those adults who sit here this morning unconverted for your glory this morning. God, we don't ask from a position of superiority. We don't ask from a, a lofty, proud, judgmental position that you would bring salvation. God, we ask as desperate sinners who our only hope and plea is that Christ has sanctified and rescued us from our own sins, God, and is continuing to strip away sin in our own lives. We recognize and see that we, too, need Christ. We have not graduated from salvation. We are not better than those whom we pray for. 
God, we ask that you would work to save, that you would work to, to cause them to delight in the, in the God of, of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. We pray more specifically that they would delight in Jesus Christ, the true King, that they would see the beauty and the glory of the one who, whom this psalm points us to. All the kings and rulers and, and presidents and, and, and people in authority uh, are pale in comparison. No matter how good they've done in serving and blessing the people of their land, they pale in comparison to the, the one, the son, the true son, Jesus Christ, the eternal king. And so we pray that he would be exalted today. We pray that he would be lifted up. We pray that in our worship, we would be worshiping him. And God, let me just pray to that end that you would help us as we uh, gather here in these next few moments that we wouldn't just sing songs. Even more that we wouldn't just sit and listen while others sing because Daniel and the praise team are not here to perform. They're here to lead us in worship. And so I pray that you, would, that you would remove any notion in our hearts that we're here to watch them worship God because that's not the case. We're here to enter into worship with them. And we thank God for their gifts. We thank God for their abilities and the way that they put together the songs and the arrangements and the music and the beauty of it. But God, all that just points us and should prepare us to worship you. And we ask to enter into that. God, I pray that that would be that we would not be spectators in a worship service, but that we would be participating worshipers around your throne this morning. And we pray, God, that you would raise us up past the cares of this world, past the distractions of this morning. God, past our own faults and failures or our, our perceived inabilities to sing. None of those things matter. May we make a joyful noise to you, O God, as they play skillfully unto the Lord. And we pray, God, that you would just elicit praise from our lips, that you would elicit worship, God, and wring it out of our hearts and out of our, our lips this morning, God, that we would not listen or only sing words, Lord, out of habit, but that we would worship the mighty God whose glory fills the earth. May that glory, just a taste of that glory, fill this room today as we worship in praise and in giving and in listening and responding to the word preached. We ask for these things, O God, so that you might be magnified today in this moment and outwardly from this moment as we live our lives before a watching world, that you would be glorified in both. And we ask it in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. During the month of July, we're going to be uh, remembering and praying for um, uh, Jerry and Sarah Howard, who are our missionaries in China through the IMB. And uh, China is a pretty volatile uh, country right now in terms of the way that they're relating to Christians. So we certainly want to be praying for their safety, for their well-being. Uh, but in the midst of that, they're, they're there despite the, the realities of the, the dangers in terms of security. They're there and their, their chief purpose there is to, to make disciples, to preach the gospel. Uh, so let's, in the midst of praying for their safety and praying that God would protect them, which we ought to do, let, let's pray that God would fuel them to continue to preach the gospel, even in that difficult situation, uh, and, and that they would see the results of that. So let's, let's pray for Jerry and Sarah this morning. Our Heavenly Fathers, we come this morning to give. Uh, we thank you, Lord, that you have blessed us in so many ways. Lord, we as a nation have been rich in the gospel. There are so many churches around us. Uh, preaching the gospel of, of Jesus Christ, imperfect churches, and yet churches where on any given Sunday you can go and hear the way of salvation through faith alone in Jesus Christ. We, we praise you and thank you for that rich abundance that, that you have given to us. We thank you, Lord, that you've also provided for us as, as a country financially and materially, Lord. You have, you have made us one of the wealthiest nations ever to exist. And we who sit here this morning as some of the wealthiest people who have ever lived on the face of this planet. And Lord, we, we pray that out of that wealth would flow a wealth of generosity. Uh, that we would, uh, having been recipients of, of this gospel, that we would give so that the gospel could go forth in areas where it is not abundant. Having so many resources, Lord, we, we pray that we would be faithful not to uh, just reserve all of that for ourselves, but that we would, it would flow from us and, and outward to those who are in need and to those who would go to preach the gospel. God bless Jerry and Sarah. Lord, we do pray for their safety this morning. We pray that you would protect them and watch over them. Uh, we, we pray that, 
you, you would just put a, a hedge of protection ar- around them. And, and yet in saying that, Lord God, we, we don't want to just pray for their safety. We, we want to pray that you would be glorified as they continue to preach the gospel in, in such a difficult and dark place. Help them to be faithful in, in that work. Give them opportunities uh, to, to speak with people and to share the gospel. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning, and uh, it's official. We are, we are out of the book of Ephesians. We finished that up last week. So if you would take your Bibles this morning and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians t- chapter 10. We're really just going to read one verse. And uh, there is a context to this verse, and I, I don't want to just rip it out of that context, uh, but it is one of those verses, I think, that, that kind of supersedes its context. I think Paul here is laying down a principle for us in 1 Corinthians 10.31 uh, that really uh, applies to every area of life. He's stating a principle and applying it in, in a specific situation that he's dealing with. Uh, but, but really we see it applies in every circumstance in, in our life. So let's read 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. What we want to do over the next few weeks is just spend some time once again walking through our, our mission statement as a church. Uh, we have formulated this. We, we believe at Union Baptist Church our, our mission is this. We exist to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in community. We want to talk about that first element of that this morning. In the, in the following weeks, we're going to come back uh, again to each particular part of that element. But the reason we're, we're doing this, first of all, uh, is twofold. First of all, is, is that we can easily be disconnected. There can be a disconnect as, as an, any organization, but as a church, uh, but between what we say about ourselves and what is reality, right? You know, we, we can come up with a fancy mission statement. We can put it on the wall. We can put it on our bulletins. We can talk about it. Uh, but if we're not careful, uh, there's sometimes what, what people refer to as mission drift, which is here's our, our mission. This is what we say our goal is. And we drift away from it. And, and who we are in reality is not really who we say we are. And so the reason we come back to our mission statement again and again is just to say this is who we really want to be. And that requires effort. We're not just describing who we, how, who we are in a mission statement. We're saying this is who we want to be. And so we need to continue to, to pursue pursue it. And so we exist, we believe, primarily for the glory of God. We're going to talk about that this morning. Uh, but secondly, the, the reason we do this is because I think over the, the past few years, God has added uh, new members to this body. Uh, and, and uh, you know, when that happens, I think sometimes what, what can be a, a danger is that we've got all these new parts, and yet we're not really working together as a team. We're not functioning well. Uh, and, and part of what a mission statement can do uh, is be, uh, you know, the, sort of like the, the sheet music that, that gets us all on the same page so that we're singing the same notes. We're, we're, we're working after the same goal. And, and the idea then is that each individual part, as they come in, they can see this is, what, this is what we're doing. This is why we exist. This is the purpose of Union Baptist Church. And, and then I just need to find my unique role uh, in, in this organization, in this church, in this body. How can I use my gifts? How can I serve to help advance this mission? Because everything we do, everything we do as a church really should be, it should be if we're faithful to this, to, to carry out our mission, to glorify God by growing disciples of Jesus Christ in, in community. And so sometimes when you get different parts that kind of are all there, uh, sometimes people don't know their role. They, they don't really feel like they fit. For instance, if, you, if you've been following the NBA, and I'm sorry that I use so many sports analogies. If you're not a sports person, uh, this may not make sense, but hopefully you can at least understand what I'm saying. But that's just, I like sports, and I see analogies there all the time. So NBA free agency is going on right now, right? And there are all these players. When I was growing up, you know, the players stayed on the same team 
till they retired, right? But these days, they're, they're different teams every, every year. In fact, I talked to Evan is, you know, he really likes Kevin Durant and we bought him at one point a Golden State Warriors jersey, Kevin Durant. And I said, when Kevin Durant just got traded, and I said, you're still pulling for the Warriors right now, aren't you? And he's like, no. He said, I'm a Nets fan now. I, I like Kevin Durant. That just blows my mind. Well, see, when I grew up, you, you rooted for the team, and whoever was on the team, that's who you, you rooted for. But, but nowadays, you root for players, and when they change, you, you change your loyalties, and you buy new jerseys and new hats, and, and so it can be very confusing. Uh, but, but when you get new players on a team, it doesn't automatically click, right? Uh, you can add all of these superstars to one team, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be a championship-caliber team. You could take an all-star team and put them together, right? We see that that's happened with LeBron a couple times. Like he gets, he assembles all of these players around him, and and then they're not good at first because they're not playing together. They're not, they're not cohesive as a team. And I think that's somewhat of where we're at. I don't feel like as a church we're hitting our potential. I feel like God has added new people into our congregation and we praise him for that. Uh, but I think some of what's occurring is that, that people don't see their role. They don't see how they're connected to this team and where they fit in. And so part of what we're doing and talking about a mission statement is just trying to get everyone on the same page and say, this is what we want to do as a church. This is what we want to be. Well, this morning we say, we're looking at this idea that we exist for the glory of God. We see that in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, right? He says, whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God. You see, Paul is operating on an assumption that we exist for the glory of God, right? If, if he says everything you do, you should do for the glory of God, he's telling you your purpose. You exist, in other words, to glorify God, there, there are certain things we do or don't do, but when you, when you say in everything you do, everything that you do glorify God, well, well, then we're talking about a purpose. This is your purpose in life. We exist to glorify God. We, do, we exist as individuals to glorify God. We exist as a church to, to glorify God. And I want to run through quickly. We've looked in the past at sort of the foundation of that to say uh, this, this is the biblical foundation that shows us we are created for the glory of God. We see this in Isaiah 43, 7, uh, where he talks about how he created his people, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? For my glory, whom I formed and made. Even even the inanimate creation that God created, Psalm 19.1, is declaring the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. <clears throat> Everything that God made was made for his glory, including you and me. This is why in the Westminster Catechism, the, the question and answers, the, the first question is this, what is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate purpose, the first and primary purpose of human beings? The answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The, the reason we glorify God is because God is glorious. You, you understand this? It's not as if God is not glorious and we glorify him. In other words, like we're giving him glory. We're giving him something that he doesn't already have. No, God is glorious. He is magnificent. He, he is awesome. And so when we talk about glorifying God, we're not giving him something that he doesn't already possess. We're just recognizing God is glorious and we're attributing glory to him. We're saying you are glorious. So 1 Peter 4.11, we see this. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. It is his glory. It is his dominion. It belongs to him. And so we're just recognizing that and we're living in a way that attributes that glory to him. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory, my glory, I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Okay, so we, God is saying there, I'm not going to share my glory. It's mine. It belongs to me. I am the one who is glorious and I don't share that with other people. He, we, we give him glory because it belongs to him. 
If you came up to me today and you say, man, that was amazing, that, that piece of artwork that you painted, that was just wonderful. I, I can't believe the talent that you have in, in, in painting that. I would know right away, you ain't talking about me because I can't even draw a straight line. I can't color in the lines. When, when we were in children's church when I was a kid, I never, ever, ever won the coloring contest, ever. I mean, just once they could have just given it to me out of pity, but never, right? Uh, I have no artistic bone. So, so you don't attribute that glory to me. You don't say, wow, Andrew, what a wonderful work of art that you've done because it wasn't me. It, that was someone else. They deserve the glory. When we look around at everything good in this world, including you and me and all of our best attributes, what is the source of all of those things? It's God. God is the glorious artist who made all of this. So anything we see good in this world, the glory should go to him. It belongs to him. He doesn't share his glory. Now, what we see, though, is that mankind, all of us, human beings, men and women, our fundamental problem is this, that we do not glorify God. Like we're talking about foundational level sin. What, what is sort of the chief sin? Where does it all begin? It begins in this. It begins in a failure to glorify God and instead to either glorify ourselves or other created things. We see this in Romans 1, 21. For although they knew God, talking about humanity, they did not honor God. They did not honor him. That's the word actually for to, to glorify. They, they did not glorify God. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they, they became fools and they ex exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things you see this is the paul saying this is the fundamental sin problem this is this is where all sin comes from it's a failure to glorify god we exchange that instead we glorify and we worship and serve other things he goes on to say they exchanged the truth about god for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. That's the fundamental problem, the fundamental sin of humanity. Well, you and I, Christians, the church of Jesus Christ, we, we've been redeemed from that sinful condition of worshiping other things besides God. We've, we've been redeemed so that we would once again glorify God as we were created to do. In Ephesians 1, it says that he predestined us, he chose us to the praise of his glorious grace. In Ephesians 3.21, it says, to him be glory, to God be glory in the church. Okay, the world is not giving glory to God. The, the world is not living for the glory of God. But the church, the body of Jesus Christ, believers, we should be giving God glory in all that we do. We exist to him be glory in the church. Jesus said that his followers would give glory to God by, by bearing fruit and by being his disciples in John 15, 7 through 8. And then when we look at sort of the ultimate place where we're going. So we've seen, we've seen we were created for the glory of God. In the fall, we exchanged that and we began to glorify and worship other things. In, in the church, in, in redemption, we've been redeemed to give God glory. But where we're headed is the new heavens and new earth. And in that new heavens and new earth, Habakkuk 2, 14 says that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The, the picture of when everything is restored is when God's glory will permeate every square inch of this creation. That's going to happen one day. So this morning, I, I don't want to focus on the fact that we, we exist for God's glory, but what I want us to, to think about is very practical ways that we bring glory to God, because I, I think everyone here would say, yes, I, I understand, and I can see the biblical narrative. I, I can see that, yes, God created us to give him glory. I, I understand that cognitively, but, but sometimes that, that feels kind of ethereal. It feels sort of abstract and out there. I, I exist for God's glory, but, but what does that mean when I punch the clock on, on Monday morning and I go to work? What does that mean in my marriage relationship or how we operate as a church? What does it mean to live for the glory of God? 
Well, one thing I think we need to understand is sometimes when we talk about glorifying God or worshiping God, uh, sometimes we think just in terms of, of singing and, and, and speaking praise about God. And, and clearly to glorify God has a strongly, a strongly verbal connotation in the Bible. Often when it talks about glorifying God, it's talking about the words that we use, whether we're praising him through word or praising him in, in psalm, song. You can see that in 1 Chronicles 16.23. But yet the, the Bible envisions a way that we glorify God, not merely by our words, but by the way we live. Do you understand that? To, to glorify God is not just to say good things about God. It's not just to sing praises to God. No, no. The way that you live can either glorify God or, or not. We're to glorify God with our actions. You see this in, in our passage this morning, right? Paul's talking about this controversial issue that they had in their church. Should we eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? Is that kind of participating in, in idolatry? And Paul works through all of that. We're not going to get into that this morning. But, but he comes down with, with this kind of summary statement. He says, so whether you eat or drink, you know, you, you could go either way. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. In other words, the way Paul is thinking is that you can eat and drink to the glory of God. Or you could abstain from eating and drinking to the glory of God. Or really, he says, whatever you do, whatever you do in all things, in everything that you do, glorify God. Do it all for the glory of God. We see, for instance, Jesus glorified the Father in John 17, 4. Not, not just by simply speaking words about the Father and praising him, but by doing the work that God gave him to do. That's how Jesus brought glory to the Father because he did the work that God gave him to do. We see this also in Romans 12, 1 and 2. He says, the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. They had a sacrificial system all throughout the Old Testament. And that, that a sacrifice, you, you put it to death. They were animals and they would sacrifice them. But Paul says, no, in this new covenant, this is what you do. Uh, we, we don't need to offer sacrifices anymore other than you present your body. In other words, your, your physical being, you present your physical being to to God as a living sacrifice. He's not calling us to, to kill ourselves or anything strange like that. He's saying, no, live your life, in other words, for the Lord as a, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he tells us, how do we do that? How do we offer our life as, as worship to God? How, how do we do that? Well, he says, don't be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do you glorify God? How do you give your life? How do you live your life to the glory of God? Well, you don't conform yourself to this world. Instead, you use discernment and you understand what the will of God is for you and you do that. And by doing the will of God and refusing to be conformed to the world, that is how you live as a living sacrifice to God. That's how you live to the glory of God. To do something then to the glory of God, to do an act to the glory of God, means to do it in submission to God's will, out of a high esteem for Him and a desire to magnify Him. I love God. God is great. Therefore, I submit to Him and I do what He wants me to do because I want God to look great. I want other people to praise the Lord. So we exist for the glory of God. We glorify God not only in, in our words and in our songs, but we glorify God with our very lives. Every act can be to the glory of God. Now, what I want us to see next is this. Our, our desire to glorify God must be the chief motivation in everything that we do. You see that again? Just come back to 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Look, that's, that's kind of chief motivation kind of language, right? Whatever you do. Whatever other considerations you take into, however else you factor your actions 
Whatever, whatever other considerations might weigh in on what you choose to do or not do or how you're going to do it, whatever else might factor in, listen, this is what you need to do. Glorify God. Do it to the glory of God. To live to the glory of God means the overriding concern for us in every detail of our life is our desire to glorify God. Now, there are two parts to what I, I just said. To live for the glory of God means the overriding concern, the chief concern for us in every detail of our life is our desire to glorify God. So I want to look at both of those. I'm going to take the last one first, which is that this is in every detail of our lives. All things, he says, everything, how you parent, every relationship we have, every decision we make every dollar we spend every ballot we fill out and every movie we watch and every day we work and every interaction with our children and every activity we do for entertainment and every vacation we take and every word we speak and every emotion we feel and every thought we have in all of these and a thousand other things that we do in every area of our life we should be doing it for the glory of God You see, you don't just glorify God on Sundays from 10 to 11, right? If you're thinking of glorifying God just in terms of praising him and singing these worship songs and coming to church and maybe putting some money in the offering plate and then, okay, that ends the period of my life for this week when I glorify God. Now I've got to go to work and I've got to be a mom or a dad and and I've got to be a neighbor and I'm in the community And, and all of that's kind of separate. But on Sundays, we glorify God. No, 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 no. Paul's saying, no, take that that one hour a week and just permeate that through everything that you do in your life. The the motivation in all of those things should be to glorify God. And that's what we're talking about when we say Union Baptist Church, we want to be a church that exists for the glory of God. We're not just talking about a church that when we gather together for one or two hours a week, we exist here for the glory of God. We're talking about when, when everything that we do throughout our lives, we want to be people, a congregation of people who exist for the glory of God. Now, in order to do that, we need to live life in, in a certain way. There's a, a Latin expression that was used uh, quorum Deo, quorum Deo. And quorum Deo is, is an expression that means this. It means to live before the face of God, to live life before the face of God. That means that that interaction that you have with your wife uh, in the living room when, when you're arguing, God's face is there. His eyes are upon you. He is present in that situation. And you need to live a life that factors that in. You know, I, I took some of these counseling classes and one of the, the impactful questions that really stuck with me, one of the counselors asked somebody, they were talking about, well, we had this big fight and it blew up and he said this and then I said this and this happened and man, it was just awful. And he just stepped back and he said, you know, think about this. Where was God in your, how, how did God factor into your thinking in all of that? Where, where was God in that? And she stopped to think for a while, and she really didn't have an answer. She's like, I really guess he wasn't there. He wasn't really thinking about that at at all. And that's precisely what we're saying, is that we need to take God from Sunday mornings for an hour, and we need to bring him into those moments every day, everything that we're doing, and we need to live as if God is there with us, because the reality is, He is there. We need to live life quorum Deo before the face of God. Sometimes, you know, people will act differently when I'm around. It's kind of funny and a little awkward. It's like, oh, the the preacher's here. We got to watch our language or we we don't want to talk about that or we don't want to say that. It just makes me awkward. And, you know, a lot of times these people are unbelievers like, you know what? It doesn't matter. You need Christ. You need to be saved. And let's start with that. But but, you know, the, the problem with that is really I'm nobody, right? I'm not important. What you say around me, I'll probably forget what you said. And, and I'm certainly am not in a position to be able to do anything about it, okay? I'm not your judge. The, the problem is, the problem is, is that God is present with you everywhere you go. 
and everything that you say and everything that you look at on the internet and every word that you speak to your wife and, and, and everything that you do, the way that you operate at work, the way that you interact with people in the community, the way that you drive your car, God is there. And you need to consider that. That needs to factor into your thinking. We really saw this logic in, in the book of Ephesians, and I, I don't want to go back and start pre- preaching the book of Ephesians, but you remember how Paul talked to the people in the church and then husbands and wives and, and slaves and masters and children and parents, and, and every command that he gave them, he sort of gave them a rationale. And do you know what that rationale always was? Listen, you need to do this in light of the Lord, in light of Jesus Christ. So, so he says uh, that believers are sub- to submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ, because Christ needs to factor into the way that you relate to each other in the church. Husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. How does how does Christ factor into the way that you treat your wife? Wives are to submit to their husbands as to the Lord. I'm doing this, think wives, I'm doing this because of the Lord, not because of my spouse is so worthy or they're so great. I'm I'm doing this because of the Lord. Slaves are to obey masters as you would Christ. Children are to obey parents in the Lord. In other words, do you see the, the rationale that Paul is using there? Your relationship with the Lord and with Jesus Christ should permeate everything else that you do, everything you do should be done to the glory of God. Too often, the problem with Christians is that we don't bring our piety home. We don't bring our religion home. We we leave it at church. But our desire to worship God, if, if it is genuine, it must impact every dimension of our life. That's that's the first part. It, it should be the overriding concern in every aspect of our life, every dimension of our life. But but secondly, it needs to be the overriding concern. Because here's here's the reality, right? For many of you, you would say, "Yes, I I think living for the glory of God is a concern. It is a concern that I have. I, I certainly want to live for the glory of God. But but it is a a concern among many other concerns." It is a motivation among many other motivations. Yes, I want to live for God, but I also want to make plenty of money. Yes, I want to live for God, but I I also want to feel like I get justice when, when something is done wrong to me. Yes, I want to live for the glory of God, but there are these other concerns that I sort of evaluate and weigh and, and what I ultimately do will just kind of depend on how I'm feeling at the moment. But for us as believers, for us as a church, what we need to be pressing toward is the idea that the overriding concern, the preeminent concern, the, the, the concern that trumps all other concerns is the glory of God. We want to have that to be above everything else. You cannot glorify God in all things, if it's not the chief desire of your heart. You see what Paul's saying here? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The only way you can do everything to the glory of God is if the chief concern of your heart, the, the driving motivation that, that, that you live by is to live for the glory of God. Many Christians have matured enough to know that, that worship goes beyond the walls of the church and it impacts everyday life. For some, though, the the desire to glorify God is not yet the supreme motivation. And that's what we want it to be. That's what it needs to be in my life. And that's what it needs to be in each one of our lives. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, another verse that kind of goes at this same idea. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Can that be said of you that your desire, your chief motivation, that your aim is to please the Lord in everything that you you do? Let's just stop and think about this this morning. What, what would it look like in your life if that really became the driving motivation? If you really began to live as the chief motivation in your life, uh, to have this desire to glorify God, what would change? I think one of the first things that we could just say is, is this. The, the biggest issue is that we would recognize, well, I can't please myself and please God. I can't live for what I want and glorify God at, at the same time. 
You see, the Bible teaches in the New Testament there are sort of two ways a Christian can live. A, a Christian can live according to the flesh or according to the Spirit of God who dwells within us. Galatians 5.16 says this, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. You see, there's two ways to walk. To walk is, is talking about our lifestyle. You will either walk according to the flesh, which is your sinful motivations, your sinful desires, or you can walk according to the Spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. There, there's opposition here. They're going in two different directions, and you can't do both. You can't fulfill and satisfy the desires of your flesh and fulfill and, and satisfy the, the leading of the Holy Spirit. These are opposed to each other, he says, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. So the question is, in, in any given situation, am I walking by the Spirit or, or by the flesh? This is the reality. If you are in the flesh, if you're fulfilling your own desires, if you're living for what pleases you and what makes you happy, you will not please God. You will not bring honor and glory to God. In Romans 8, chapter 8, verses 5 through 8, but let's just look at the, the last verse there. He says, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You can't live according to your own sinful desires and be pleasing to God and bring glory to God. To God. So I think that's got to always be the question. If my chief motivation is to glorify God, guess what that means? I've got to be telling myself no a lot, right? If you're just living a life where you kind of always do what seems natural to you, what, what comes natural to you, and that's just, you know, your first instinct. Well, I wanted to say that, so I said that. I wanted to do this, so I did that. That felt good, so I did that, right? If you're living that way, you're living according to the flesh. And if you're in the flesh, what does Romans 8 say? You cannot please God. You can't bring glory to God. So, so there just has to be this fundamental shift away from, I'm not living for myself anymore. I can't make it my aim to please God and everything and to please myself. Somebody's going to lose in that situation. So the, there just has to be a fundamental shift away from what we want to what God wants. So let's think about some scenarios here. Husbands, you, you, you imagine that you, your wife have just said something really that you feel is just very disrespectful to you. You've worked 12 hours, you, you come home expecting her to sort of appreciate what you're, what you're doing, your work, but, but instead she makes some kind of underhanded comment that really implies that you're not a very good husband. It just cuts you deeply, right? Husbands, men, we love to be respected. We, we love to have the respect of our, our wives. And we could even say in that moment, right, that, that if a wife said something like that, she was probably in sin when she said that. That was wrong of her to say. But, but now you're angry and you're hurt. So that, that's the scenario that we're painting. Let's unfreeze that and play it out. How does that play out? Well, the question is, right, are you walking according to the flesh? Are you making it your aim to please yourself? Or are you living for the glory of God and making it your aim to please him? And, and whatever your primary motivation, whatever is the greater factor in your decision-making process is going to determine the way that you act. If you're living for yourself in that moment, you, you may shout some angry words at her. Uh, you may retaliate. You, you may try to give some kind of underhanded comment back to her about the fact that, well, you've been at home all day and the house isn't very clean and and we got to go spend money because uh, you haven't cooked supper. And you, you could be really nasty back toward her, but that would be living according to the flesh and not living for the glory of God. If we kind of step back and we say, okay, now let's do this according to the glory of God. My, my primary motivation is not feeling like I need to get revenge and cut her back because of what she's just done to me. No, no my primary motivation now is to glorify God. 
above myself, above my needs and wants and desires is my desire for God to look glorious. And we just saw that to glorify God, we submit to him and we follow the leadership of his spirit. So we know from Ephesians that we should let no corrupting communication come out of our mouths. Right. Ephesians says that if we're walking in in the spirit, if we're led by the spirit, we're not going to say things that are hurtful. So we just know that immediately, even though maybe she sinned against me, that's off off limits. I'm not going to say anything that is harsh or unkind or unloving back toward her. Instead, I'm going to be led by the spirit. And what does the spirit lead us to do? Galatians chapter five. What are the fruits of the spirit? Patience, kindness, gentleness. You see, if I'm living for the glory of God, my actions in that moment are going to be patient. They're going to be kind. They're going to be gentle. So this is what we're talking about when we talk about living for the glory of God. It's not this abstract thing that's way out there. It's right down here in the nitty gritty of everyday life. The, the, The motivation to live for the glory of God is something that radically changes everything that you do if it's truly your motivation. Think about another scenario. You're watching a movie. It quickly becomes apparent that this movie or this television show uh, is going to be fairly graphic in terms of sexuality. What do you do? Well, what's your primary motivation in, in life? Is it to live according to your flesh? To be entertained? To, to enjoy this? Well, if that's the case, then you're going you're gonna to tell yourself, I'm not really being tempted by this. This really is not feeding any kind of sinful desires in my flesh. I can, it's just about the plot line. I just really enjoy this story. You, you can do that way if you're living according to the flesh. But if you desire to live for the glory of God, and that's your primary motivation in that moment, you're going to turn it off because you realize that sexuality is something that's to be experienced within the covenant of marriage alone and nothing outside of that. And so you're going to turn it off because you're living for the glory of God, right? It changes those mundane, small little decisions. It should influence every one of those. What about money? You say, well, you know, I'm struggling to get by. It seems like I I work all the time and there's always more month at the end of the the money. And you read your Bible, you're doing your Bible reading. It says that in Corinthians, whoever gives generously will also reap generously and that the Lord loves a cheerful giver. But you think, man, I don't have enough money. I can't do that and pay all of these bills too. What do you do? If you're living according to the flesh, if you're living for your own desires, you, you continue to tell yourself those excuses that really... I can't do it, right? But if you're living for the glory of God, you say, I'm going to submit to what God's word says. I'm going to be a generous giver and I'm going to trust the promises of God. I'm going to allow God to come through and to provide for me like he says he will. What about when you're church? Now this one, this one might have immediate application. Uh, I might have planted this one in here on purpose. What, what about when your church is doing a month-long sign-up period for ministry positions, and you already feel like you, you've got too much going on in your life, despite the fact that you're not necessarily really serving in any significant way in the body of Christ. But you just feel outside things, your kids and school and sports, I've got too much, I can't serve at church too, right? What do you do in that moment? Well, if you're living for yourself, you say, I've got too much going on. And, and I just can't do those kind of things. And I don't really feel gifted to do some of those things. And so I'm just going to pass that sheet by on my way out. And I, I'm not really going to be able to serve this time around. But if you're living for the glory of God, 1 Peter 4.9 says that when we use our gifts to build up the body of Christ, we, we do it for the glory of God. Let me just read that. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Are those back there? Okay. Without grumbling, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks, if that's your gift, as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves, if that's the gift that God has given you, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. And then listen to this, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You using your gifts to serve in the body of Christ brings glory to God. Is that your motivation? There's a sheet on the back that you can sign up on your way out and find ways that you can serve. What about dating? You say, I'm lonely. 
I'm desperate. I, I want to be in a relationship. Everyone else around me seems to have someone, and yet I'm all by myself. But at the moment, God really hasn't brought anybody into my life uh, to, to, to date or, or to marry. Uh, the, there are plenty of interested guys, however, who are not believers. So what do you do? If you're living for your flesh, if you're living for your own desires, you, you find somebody that you can just make it happen right now and I can get what I want. I can date somebody. I can be in that relationship and, and I can get what I want. But if you're living for the glory of God, if that's your primary motivation, you say, I'm going to wait. I desperately want to be in a relationship, but I'm going to wait for God to provide for me. You see this over and over again. You can apply this principle. Let, let me just say one more. And this one is, again, a hand-picked uh, example. But what do you do when you're a church? And you've got a membership role with over 300 people. And Jesus tells us in his word to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, to care for them. It also tells us that Jesus instructs his church to, to discipline those who, who wander away and who will not repent after repeated effort. But, but it's difficult, right? We have personal connections to these individuals. This is not just a seminary class where you say, this is the right thing to do. There, there are faces and names that, that go with this. What, what do you do? Well, if you're living for yourself and for your own glory and your own comfort, you, you come up with excuses why, why you can't do that. You do what's easy. You do what's comfortable. You do what won't ruffle any feathers. But if you're living for the glory of God, you do what is faithful and you do what is right, and you do what God commands us, even though it's a challenge, right? You, you do it because you want to live for the glory of God. Sometimes when we live for the glory of God, it challenges us to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. And, and often, listen, often there are blessings that come on the other side of that. What, what if the loved ones that you're concerned about in terms of, of their membership in this church what if God is waiting for us to be faithful before he deals with their hearts? What if he's going to draw them back to himself, but, but it's going to require a process of first some discipline and, and first some a little bit of maybe conflict there? Sometimes we're too wrapped up in the immediate to see God's bigger plan. So are we living for the glory of God? That's, I think, the question this morning. It's not abstract. When we talk about this as a church existing for the glory of God, this, this is what we mean. We're not talking about something that's abstract, but it's something that is very practical and part of our everyday life. And I think what we want to see, too, is that this is just not, not just a mission statement. It's not just something that looks good on the wands. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, we live for the glory of God. No, this is something that should really permeate our our lives. So this morning as we close, are, are you living for the glory of God? Maybe, maybe you're still there in Romans chapter 1 and you've never turned away from living for yourself and for the things in, in this world. This morning I want to invite you to turn from your sins, to accept the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ and begin this morning living for the glory of God. For the rest of us, I think the challenge is this. I know in my life, there are ways that I have not been living for the glory of God. And we just need to repent of that. And, and we need to redouble our efforts to say, no matter what, I'm going to live for the glory of God, no matter how difficult, no matter how challenging, no matter how much it cuts against the grain of my flesh and the things that I want, no matter what, I'm going to live for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We recognize that you are glorious. You are the creator of all things. Every good thing in this world is just a, a, a mere semblance of your goodness and your glory. The most glorious thing that we see in, in our world, the most glorious things are, are but a small picture of your glory. God, I pray that you would give us a, a vision and a picture uh, of your glory, that we, that we might see you as glorious and that that might spur us on to live our lives in order to glorify you. Help us as a church to be faithful in this task, this mission statement that we see. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.